Hello, and welcome to, I guess, what is now the fourth episode of The Bombastic Podcast, the best damn Arkansas baseball podcast you've ever heard, anyone's ever heard, anyone's ever even attempted to do. Um, this is this is history, folks, and we are now three days away from Arkansas baseball. Is that right? Three days away? Yeah, it's Tuesday, February 13th. Arkansas plays on the 16th. Here we are. Folks, it's game week. Uh, it doesn't quite feel like game week yet. It hasn't really, like those nerves haven't really kicked in. Uh, I'm sure that will change real soon here. Um, we get to hear from DVH later today, although it is going to be a really dumb media availability for the Arlington event, which is next weekend, but they have an event in Arlington this weekend, so they've decided to get all eight teams that are participating in the two things and get them together for a press conference that nobody asked for. So I don't know. Maybe that'll get the juices flowing. Hearing DVH talk there, who knows? Uh, if not, tomorrow we will get a press conference with Dave Van Horn on Wednesday where he will most likely announce this starting rotation, potentially the fourth starter. And if nothing else, we'll just get to hear from the head hog one last time before the season starts, and that's bound to get us a little bit excited. But we appreciate you tuning in. Again, this is the Bombastic Podcast presented by Natty State Sports. Uh, this is where you should be coming for all of your Arkansas baseball needs. We're going to be talking about it all. We're going to be meeting here two times a week. I say that, actually. We might, potentially. There might be some room for a little extra bonus action this week. Who knows? It's game week. We're going to get weird here. Uh, you may also notice that I'm by myself once again. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice there's no one else on camera with me. Um, again, that is not going to be the case forever. This time, I really mean it. I have it on very good authority. We will have a couple of, of gentlemen joining us this week on the program uh, here at Natty State Sports and Studio. So be on the lookout for that. We've got a lot of exciting stuff cooking up at Natty State Sports, and we're, we're excited to get things going. I mean, just before we get going, I want to remind you about what all we do have going on. The Pot at the Palace with Curtis and Scotty. You know it. The best basketball podcast anyone's ever created. Really good stuff. Really strong stuff from those dudes. And the fact that they're going three days a week, despite this team being as hard to watch as they've been and as bad as they've been and chaotic. And I guess luckily there's been enough to talk about the whole time. But yeah, the fact that they're doing three pods a week and still cranking out written content, still cranking out shorts, still doing John Neighbors shows, still doing all that they're doing and covering the team. Uh, nobody does it better than those guys, seriously. If, you, if you're familiar with their work, you don't need me to tell you that. Um, and yeah, those guys have been just crushing it. And so tomorrow, be on the lookout for their game day edition of the Pot of the Palace which will preview tomorrow's game against Tennessee, which I'm told is pretty good. What are they, like 10, 12 in the rankings? But anyways, Arkansas's not dead yet on the hoop hardwood. hardwood. Uh, and so go, go check those guys out, the pot at the palace. They've been crushing it for real. And the Natty State six-pack with Curtis Wilkerson and myself. Uh, sneaky the best pod we have, maybe, some are saying. But uh, we have had we have a really good time on that show, just talking about if you're tired of hearing about sports, if you're tired of – you know, you're, you're here to listen to me talk baseball, so I hope you're not too tired of hearing about sports. But if you are, if you get to get through, get through with this and I ruin your day and you think, man, I'm just sick of hearing nerds talk about sports, well, then you might enjoy nerds talking about not sports because that's what me and Curtis talk about a lot on the Natty State Six Pack. We just kind of goof off and talk about what me and Curtis talk about, which is what, what me, you know, what, what you talk about with your buddies when you go out to eat, you go have a drink, you go do whatever. Whatever y'all are discussing, that's probably what we're discussing. So, like, we discussed Reba looking hot at the Super Bowl, uh, Ice Spice being at the Super Bowl. We discussed all the fun stuff that, that came around there. And so that's what we do on that show. We even, have a, we even have a beverage or two from time to time. So check that out if you want to have a good time. 
Uh, and as always, the John Neighbor Show is crushing it, and it will be live tonight, Tuesday. If you're listening to this on a later date, you probably missed it. But if you are listening to this on Tuesday, February 13th, if it's not 4 to 6 p.m. yet, you better clear your schedule. Be at Flyway Brewing on Zion in Fayetteville. New place that has opened up in the last few few months. It's a Little Rock organization. The best restaurant. It's my. Fa- it's legitimately my favorite restaurant. Like we have a lot of ad partners here that we have. You know, we 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 prop up and we love on the show and we love sharing their product. Flyway is one where I've been promoting Flyway unprofessionally for years now, or for uh, I guess months now since they moved to Fayetteville. I, I love taking Hillary there. It's like legitimately my favorite place to hang out in Fayetteville. Favorite place to watch a ball game. So we're going to be doing a John Neighbor show live from there. So if you want to hang out with us, you want to see us and throw throw food at us, Flyway is the place to do it tonight. And uh, be on the lookout because we will be doing events there potentially throughout the year, potentially with this baseball season. So if you want, if you like watching baseball, you like drinking, you like eating cheese curds or burgers or pizza or whatever it is, they've got great food. And so go out there tonight, see us there. We'll hang out. We'll uh, you know we'll chop it up. But if not, try to make it out to some of our events that we do there in the future. I guarantee you those are going to be fun. And if nothing else, just go to Flyway. Like, if you've not been yet and you're kind of on the fence, go to Flyway and have a good time. I have it on very good authority that Dave Van Horn loves a good drink from Flyway. Loves loves to hang out at Flyway. Loves to go enjoy there and watch some ball like we all do. Like, like guys being dudes. That's what, that's what Flyway is. And, hey, it's great for the lady. Hillary doesn't drink beer. But I got her to go to Flyway, and she had a great time. Great food, great atmosphere, great TV, great everything. Um, that place is that place is the best, man. And so I really, again, I'm not cutting a promo here. This is not an ad. This is not an ad, Reed. This is just me riffing. I uh, wanted to kind of remind you guys of what we got going on and preview what's what, what we got cooking here at Natty State Sports. So we got a lot going on. The Bombastic Pod, while it is the coolest and most professional podcast that we have going on, it is not the only one. Not the only thing, and uh, so I, I think you guys should be checking out all that we got going on. But if you're just here to talk ball, don't worry. We are going to do plenty of that on this podcast. Uh, I want to give a quick shout-out before we get going because someone commented on our YouTube, and which, by the way, I've told you all to do. If you want to hear me talk about something, just comment on the YouTube and yell at me, and I'll do it. Um, and this is this is proof. We're, we're putting that into practice here because – uh, I don't even I can't read the guy's name because his one of his 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 name on YouTube is one of those like user zero eight eight four nine B whatever a bunch of letters and numbers so could very well be a bot who knows but uh, he basically was asking that some of the podcasts baseball podcasts that are covering SEC and college baseball they have doubts about how Arkansas will be offensively they wonder if Arkansas is going to be able to replace all the firepower they left behind and everyone thinks Arkansas is going to be good mostly because of the pitching staff but I think there are you know, at least nationally and big picture, there are some concerns about whether or not Arkansas is going to have enough firepower in the lineup. And look, I think it's, we, we've talked about who's going to start in the lineup and who's going to help on the pitching staff and kind of reasonable expectations around there. But I do want to dive on today's episode a little bit deeper into what are some expectations that we can have realistically for this offense. And we're going to go piece by piece. We're going to go position by position. Going to be a lot of numbers on today's program. So if you're a stats guy, you're going to love it. Uh, if you're not, bear with us, but at the end, we will kind of break down what we think is going to happen for this team, and just overall, we'll get a vibe check at each spot. Do the Arkansas Razorbacks feel good about their situation here, and we're just going to go through the whole lineup, and then at the end, kind of review and see what we expect for this lineup and compare it to past teams, and guys, I got to be honest, I think they match up pretty pretty favorably, um, and look, we'll get into why, and we'll even go position by position, 
Um, but before we get going, I did want to give a shout out to our people at Alumni Hall. Again, if you love baseball and you love the Hogs, there really is no better place to be. The best Razorback fan experience, the ultimate Razorback shopping destination. They've got it all. They've got the hats. I'm sure by now you're tired of hearing us say it, but they've got those hats that you love. All four, maybe adding to the mix soon, but they've got the new pinstripe jerseys and everything, which saw those uh, saw those getting ready the other day. It looks like the pins are happening, guys. There were a lot of murmurs. It's I think it's official. Arkansas is busting out some pins this year. I cannot wait to see them in them. And uh, I'm going to withhold any judgment until I see the full uniform top to bottom. I got to see it in action. I got to see our boy Vahiva Lloyd decked out in the Razorback pins before I make a true decision on how I feel about it. But I know there, I know there have been a lot of polarizing opinions there, but I do, I do know that Alumni Hall, they have all of it. And if you don't like those pins, you'll want something else. They got that too. They've got info for the, uh, or they got, they got clothes for the kids, the dogs, the cats, the birds, uh, every size, big and tall, whatever you want, football, basketball, baseball. The best way to support the Razorbacks and to support us here at Natty State Sports is with Alumni Hall. You can find them over at College, 3417 North College Avenue in Fayetteville, over by Whole Foods where Curtis gets his groceries. And if you want to shop online, if you're listening to us virtually, which I guess you have no choice but to be listening to us virtually, uh, nattystatesports.com slash alumni hall. If you go to that website, it'll show you the full selection of what they have. And I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Again, that is nattystatesports.com slash alumni hall, or go check them out in person. We appreciate them for all they do for us. And they're going to have a big year at alumni hall. So go check those guys out. But guys, it's time. Let's, uh, let's just dive right into this sucker. So again, we're going to go position by position assess sort of what Arkansas had at that position last year, what they're expected to have this year, and sort of a overall vibe check. And so we're going to start behind the plate. Now, again, this was a position of controversy last year, the catcher spot. Arkansas has had a history of having proven older catchers who are known they can handle the staff. And even when they bring in a transfer like a Michael Turner, he ends up being a stud. But you just think about over the years, a lot of the best Razorback teams we remember had a guy like a Casey Opitz or a Grant Cook or a James McCann. Or I even remember the years where they had Jake Wise, was not a big offensive threat, but just a dude that you trusted. And back then, none of the Hogs hit. It was, it was, they were winning every game three to two. So it was just kind of nice to have that catcher. But it was, the catcher was always right in the middle of the leaders of the team and just kind of what was going on for this Arkansas team. And so last year, I think a lot of fans, I don't want to say rightfully so, but they were very disappointed with what Arkansas brought in at the catcher position. You bring in Hudson Polk, a guy who transferred in from Oklahoma, who had some moments here and there, and it looked like he was going to be the starting catcher, at least he was to start the year, was not a proven starter, had not really started full, had definitely not started full-time at Oklahoma. And so I think people were, a little underwhelmed by that acquisition. And then Parker Rowland, who comes in from JUCO ranks and had a really good year at the JUCO level and had all kind of crazy hitting stats, like hit almost 400 there. Uh, he had a really good year, but again, coming from the JUCO level, huge step up from the SEC. So Arkansas didn't really have that lockdown, like this is our catcher, this is our guy coming into the year. And it was a little bit of a battle between those two guys. Parker Rowland got the majority of the planning time there, and he hit 182 Got on base at 293 OBP, 238 slugging, only two home runs, 19 RBIs, 21 runs. You know, a catcher position, so you're not expecting a ton of huge production, especially for Arkansas' situation last year, but 
just didn't have that pop at the plate. And then Hudson Polk, when he played, hit 190. Had a little bit more pop uh, with a little 310 slugging. Hit two home runs in his limited ABs, seven RBIs, 10 runs. So, again, just not a ton of run production for Arkansas from the catcher spot. And, look, most teams are in that position where they're not expecting their catcher to be driving in runs. That is just not the case for Arkansas this year. Uh, the guy who we have projected to start here at the Bombastic Podcast, where we are never wrong, Hudson White, who transferred in from the Texas Tech ranks, he has some proven starting experience. He was not catching every single day last year for Texas Tech, but he was starting every day. Usually he was, he'd catch a couple games on the weekend, maybe DH1, maybe play first a little bit, but uh, caught at least, I think it was like 32, 33 games last year, hit 296 for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. So again, not the SEC, but but also we're not talking about JUCO. Legit Big 12, high-level baseball, hit 296 with a 946 OPS, had 11 home runs, 49 RBIs, scored 39 runs. What I really like also about what he did last year is he had 31 free passes and 31 strikeouts. I think it was like 27 walks, four hit by pitch or something like that. But a guy who does plenty of damage to the plate, double-digit home runs, plenty of doubles, you know, a solid slugging over 500 doesn't strike out a ton either. I mean, he strikes out, a, I mean, 31's not a small amount. I mean, that's one every other game. It's not like a, you know, not Ichiro up there or anything, but a guy that does plenty of damage at the plate, has a good eye, draws his walks. I believe his OBP was well over 400, uh, takes his walks, will strike out from time to time, but he's a guy that's going to be in the middle of the order for Arkansas, whether he starts at catcher, first base, DH, whatever it is. Uh, Hudson White is going to be right in the thick of it, and uh, he's been hitting the ball I mean, he just mashes, man. Uh, he's hit the ball as well as anyone on the team since he's gotten to Arkansas, and he's been hitting second in all the scrimmages uh, for the Arkansas quote-unquote starting lineup. I think it's very obvious they like him. Again, a huge upgrade at the catcher position. And look, if it's not him that starts, you're still looking at a freshman in Ryder Helfrich who is a big-time hitting prospect. Uh, again, is he going to hit consistently as a true freshman in the SEC? Probably not. I don't think anybody would, you know, should be realistically expected to do that. But I think he's a guy who brings plenty of pop and brings a little bit more of a punch than those catchers last year. So no matter what, you're looking at an upgrade. And hell, even if Hudson White and Ryder Helfrick somehow got kidnapped, you would still have just an older version of Parker Rowland and Hudson Polk who are healthy, a year older, and both had really good off seasons. I think this is the best Arkansas felt about their catcher position. And Quite some time. I mean, they they've usually have a good one, and they usually have one waiting in the wings, but it's rare that you have four guys that you realistically would feel okay starting in an SEC game, but that's kind of where Arkansas is at, and so quite the luxury to have, but I think offensively, I just, I just don't think it's crazy to expect a nice little uptick from the catcher position. Uh, I would even say it's going to be a massive uptick, <laughs> uh, to put it lightly there, but... Moving on to first base, uh, this this guy who Arkansas started last year, Brady Slavens, you you know him, you love him, uh, had quite the roller coaster of a Razorback career, but man, so many big hits over the years. And look, I was thinking about Brady Slavens the other day. Comes in in 2021 in the JUCO ranks, uh, is a part of that huge Arkansas team that won 50 games, was the number one overall seed, the Kevin Copps year. Uh, that team was just a special team, and Brady Slavens was right in the middle of it. He was arguably that team's best hitter. So we're talking about a guy who's done a lot for the Hogs and been a part of some big teams, went to Omaha in 2022, huge part of that team as well. I think he had, at one point, Brady Slavens had like the longest home run in the history of TD Ameritrade for the College World Series, something like that. Um, so again, you're, you're replacing a guy who, who has meant a lot to the program. So it's not like 
you know, I know some people were were down on Brady Slavens because he strikes out a lot. And he swings out of his shoes every pitch. I I get it. I get it. I know that he wasn't always the most popular, but uh, really good defender at first base as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm I don't want to make light of like what Arkansas is replacing there. And I mean, last year was his worst year statistically as a hog. Still hit 277, slugged 488, had nine home runs, 42 RBIs, 42 runs. So like pretty solid run production. Like if that's your worst. <laughs> That's your worst case scenario, which it was. That was the worst worst year of his career, I would say. Still a pretty good amount of production for Arkansas to replace. Still a good amount of pop. And also, he's a guy who's been in the SEC for a while, so teams kind of have to be cautious of him. You're kind of pitch walking on eggshells. You know, he's a he's he makes he can make you pay for a mistake. And so, just his presence and what he brings to the lineup, like that. That's that's something that Arkansas has to replace. That being said, I feel pretty good about the way they did it. And the reason I do is because Jack Wagner is who we kind of think is going to slide right in there at first base. If it's not him, it'll be Ben McLaughlin. And I think whoever's not starting at first base is probably DHing for you. Um, And I think you'll probably see both guys and and Hudson White, again, who's another big-time hitter who you feel pretty good about. But Jack Wagner is fascinating to me, man. So you look at his career when he was at Kansas, again, similar to Tavian Josenberg, you look at his numbers and you're like, "Eh, nothing, nothing to write home about here. Just a guy who... Been around for three years, maybe one or two home runs in his entire career. Has Tommy John surgery going into his fourth year at Kansas, I believe. So he misses all that. Uh, bounced around defensively too. Sp- spent some time in the outfield. Spent some time at first base. But just looking at his Kansas career, you're looking at that and you're like, all right, that's maybe someone you bring in as a utility, like backup somewhere that can fill in a few spots. But doesn't look like some you know notable guy who you got to keep your eye on. After he has that Tommy John surgery, which, by the way, kind of crazy that he had Tommy John surgery as an outfielder uh, slash first baseman now is what he's going to be. Uh, but, you know, you don't see that often, but it happened. It kind of set him back. And in hindsight, might have been a huge blessing. He goes to Tarleton State, has a massive year last year. And, look, again, we're not talking about at the SEC level, although he did have a few home runs against SEC teams. I remember vividly him in, uh, against Texas A&M. And this is before I even knew who he was, but I remember watching that midweek game and watching him hit like a 480-foot home run against Texas A&M in a midweek and being like, oh, my gosh. And I think I think Tarleton might have beat him. But Jack Wagner had a massive year. I mean, he hit 337 last year, slugged 692, hit 15 home runs, 56 RBIs, 41 runs. Again, like kind of came out of nowhere. This is a dude who in his career's you know, experience been around but had not been this like massive offensive threat. I don't know what Jack Wagner did in that offseason. I don't know who he talked to. I don't know what happened during his recovery. Um, And I'm sure dropping down a level helped him reset mentally and kind of find that love for the game a little bit again. But, man, whatever he figured out, he figured it out well. And, again, I just read you those stats that are out of this world. 337, 692, 15 home runs, uh, on-base percentage 451, ton of RBIs, ton of runs scored. I'm not expecting Jack Wagner to replicate that production. That would be preposterous. I mean, that's... That's first-team All-SEC, borderline All-American if you're doing it in the SEC level type stuff. So I think we're going to expect a little bit of a, a regression there, but I still feel really good about what he brings to the table. And he's hit well. He's hit over 300 this offseason against Arkansas pitching, had some big moments. And so, and, and my favorite thing, I keep saying it, DVH, when we asked him about it, said he brings a little bit of attitude to the lineup. Older guy, about 23 years old. He's been around a little bit. This is last year college baseball. He's ready to, ready to let it all hang out. I can't wait to watch Jack Wagner play. I think he's going to end up being one of y'all's fan favorites. Really fun personality, fun guy to watch. And like DVH said, brings a little bit of that attitude. He's he's scrappy, and I think he's just the perfect guy to have in that kind of middle five to seven range of your order where 
you know, he might not be the number one guy you're asking to drive in runs, but it's one of those that you might get through the middle section and be like, oh, yeah, there's two outs, and we we, we, we somehow got Kendall Diggs out. We got whoever out, and then Jack Wagner just comes up and hits a three-run double to make you pay. I see him being that kind of guy for Arkansas. So, again, like, I'm expecting a little bit of an uptick in production. Again, based on what Brady Slavens did last year. I'm not saying Jack Wagner is going to do what Brady Slavens did in 2021 or whatever or break the TD Ameritrade home run record, but – I do think he's going to bring a lot of punch to this Arkansas offense, and so I like what he's bringing to the table. I think you guys will too, and we can argue about whether or not he's going to literally be an uptick, but I, I think around that, you know, I mentioned Brady Slavens was 277 with nine home runs. I, I think I'm seeing Jack Wagner just a little bit above that, maybe in that 290 range, could creep up to around double-digit home runs, but I, I like what they, where, where, where they replaced, what they did to replace Brady Slavens there. And if it ends up being Ben McLaughlin, a guy who hit 346 last year, uh, got on base 442, uh, you know, slugged 487, didn't play every day, but got a ton of really valuable starting experience. A lot of that damage, a lot of those numbers that I just read you come from SEC play when he was a starting DH for Arkansas. So again, a guy who swings it, I think between him and Wagner, Arkansas feels good about what they have at that first base DH spot. Moving on to second base. Now this is a little bit of an interesting one because the two guys who started at second base for Arkansas last year were Peyton Stovall and Peyton Holt, who are now on the team this year and will probably be the two guys that you see at second base. Um, I guess also I should, since we're since we're talking about this here, have not talked talk to you guys since last week's scrimmages. We talked about how Peyton Stovall was hurt and how Jared Spraglott's the guy who's going to have to fill into the lineup, and that is true. We, we talked about some of the possibilities, and one of them was Peyton Holt moving over to second base, which is what happened at the scrimmage. Peyton Holt moves into the leadoff spot for Arkansas, which I thought was interesting, but I think it makes sense. You know, he's a guy that likes to take his pitches, sees a lot, uh, kind of has that spark plug, tone setter mentality. I think he's kind of a perfect leadoff guy. And so, you know, I'm not, obviously I would have preferred Peyton Stovall not get hurt and that be how Arkansas found it out. But I won't be stunned if Peyton Holt doesn't leave that leadoff spot. Um, but anyways, we're just talking about what this offensive production is going to look like year to year. So last year, it's interesting. So I want to I want to make sure I word this right so I don't confuse anyone. So everyone listen real close. Peyton Stovall played a little bit more than halfway through the year, like about 65 percent of the season is about where it happened, where Peyton Stovall finally had to jump off the horse and was like, look, I got to get this surgery. It actually might have been even more. It might have been closer to about 75 percent of the season. Um, and so, look, Peyton Holt came in. For him, And he started some at third before, had started some games at second and kind of bounced around. So all this production isn't just from SEC play down the stretch, but Peyton Holt hit 392 in the place of Peyton Stovall, was unreal down the stretch, slugged 581, had 17 RBIs, which is insane because I just told you Parker Rowland had 19 and he played just about every day for the season. And John Bolton, who I'll get to later, he had 19 RBIs. Uh, and Peyton Holt had 17, and he really didn't even play that much. Scored 24 runs as well, so he was hitting down at the bottom of the order. He was, it, it was a nice little audition for him to show that he can spark plug this offense. I think it's kind of perfect why he, he makes a lot of sense as a leadoff guy. But again, he was awesome for Arkansas down the stretch. So look, you, I just read you what numbers I just read you besides the counting stats, the 392 batting average, the 489 OBP, and the 581 slugging. Peyton Holt is not going to replicate that. He just not. If he does, then he's going to make a lot of money. He's going to be a lot richer than any of us expected him to be. And uh, who knows? If he's able to do that for a full season, cool. I would not expect him to be. So you might hear that and be like, all right, so they're not going to be as good offensively at second base. But like I said earlier, 
Peyton Stovall played for about 75% of the season. Now, Peyton Stovall is a really good baseball player, and that's who they're bringing back. And so it's like, yeah, you know, you're pretty much about the same. But if you remember correctly, Peyton Stovall was banged up for a lot of that season. I would say for at least half the season, Peyton Stovall is banged up. In fact, more, because I remember it was the second weekend of the season when he first hurt that shoulder and then was playing through it. So really, you're talking about Peyton Stovall, but it's not the real Peyton Stovall. I mean, he hit 253, 330 on base percentage, 393 slugging. All three of those numbers, however many games Peyton Stovall plays, whether it's 10, 20, 50, if he ends up playing every single game somehow with a worn-out foot, he's limping around out there, he will improve drastically on all three of those numbers. He hit five home runs, had 31 RBIs, 31, 30 runs, which is actually pretty good run production given that he didn't play that much. Um, but basically, so what I'm saying is, to wrap it all up, Peyton Holt is due for some regression from the outstanding pace that he had down the stretch last year, but Peyton Stovall is due for a ton of progression <laughs> based on what he performed last year and what he put out there. I think if you add both of those things together, I still think Arkansas is going to be better offensively at the second base position between Peyton Holt, who's going to start the season there and play there for at least the first month or so of the season. And then if Stovall comes in and slides in behind him or if Peyton Holt just stays there, I think overall you're going to look at the second base spot. Arkansas is going to be getting good offense consistently. And I think it will be more consistent than what it was last year. Whereas last year you had a hot start from Peyton Stovall and a hot finish from Peyton Holt, but a whole lot of inconsistency and up and down in the middle I think whether it's Holt or Stovall there at any point, Arkansas is going to feel good about what they have at second base. They're going to have a guy who's going to hit 300, maybe around that over it a little bit. I think Arkansas feels very good about what they have at second base. So I, I'm going to go with, you can call out a wash, but I think Arkansas is going to be a little bit up at second base offensively. And if it looks like I'm sunshine pumping here and you're like, oh, you think they're just going to be better at every position? Wait, there are positions in which Arkansas will firmly be worse offensively, and we'll get to it. But uh, again, I'm just setting the stage for this infield, and I'm not I'm not making sweeping declarations here. So this is not just me being a homer or me trying to hype you up or trying to be excited because it's game week. Like these are the numbers. This is how it is, and this is what we've seen this offseason also. And and Peyton Holt, again, I said he's due for some regression, but I think the one thing we've really learned this offseason is that it wasn't fool's gold what he did last year. He's a really good ball, baseball player, and he's firmly solidified himself as a starter like you don't have to worry about whether or not he's in the lineup and that was something DVH started saying after like a week in the fall so we've established both of these guys are good I think Stovall's due for some progression there so I think even if Stovall or even if Peyton Holt isn't able to replicate his crazy stats down the stretch I still think you're looking at better overall offensive production at second base moving on to third base now this is a position this is a fascinating one Caleb Cowley last year remember him you may remember him because he went like over 14 to start his Razorback career. I remember people really being upset about that. So I remember about two weeks before the season, I, I fired off a, a tweet. I don't tweet much, but I fired off a tweet and I said, hey, Caleb Cowley's the best kept secret in college baseball. I think people don't realize how good this guy is. I think he's going to be a monster for Arkansas. And Caleb Cowley, of course, right after I did that, decides to go like 0 for 7 with six strikeouts opening weekend and then kind of falls out of the lineup, falls out of, out of the good graces of DVH, gets in the doghouse a little bit, uh, doesn't get his first hit until like three weeks into the season. It was a roller coaster. And, man, it, it, it took until like a few weeks into conference play before he ever really fully got his groove, got his everyday spot in the lineup, and proved kind of who he was. 
That being said, you look at what he produced for the year. He hit 308 for the for the season, 412 on base percentage, took his walks, got on base a good bit, slugged over 500, 512 slugging, hit nine home runs, 37 RBIs, 38 runs. Again, was not in the lineup every day throughout the season. So you, you take that and maybe extrapolate it at about 15, 20 games. Like that's a damn good offensive season from a third baseman, from any infielder, from any player. That's that's good production. And so it's kind of crazy to look back at Cali's season because you think of it as kind of up and down and it took him a while to get going. And then you look at the final result and you're like, man, he was crushing, man. He was awesome. And again, drove in a ton of runs for Arkansas down the stretch. Um, it's interesting because, again, we're going to have a situation here where Jared Spraglot might start the year at third base. You might see big country Reese Robinette get some starts at third base. You should because he's been crushing the baseball and been playing really well. Uh, and then you might see Peyton Holt return to that position. Hell, you might even see Jason Jones slide in there. Who knows what will happen, but it's going to be a little bit of a revolving door early, I'd imagine. But you got a lot of guys who have produced a lot, and I just read you Cali's numbers, which are really good. Jared Spraglot actually had, a, on paper, a better season than him last year. Hit 314, 440 on base, 583 slugging, had 13 home runs, 43 RBIs, and scored 60 runs. Now, of course, he did that at Richmond, not the SEC, not quite that, quite you know, on the same level. Um, and he played a full season, which Caleb Cali did not. Um, again, I'm not saying Jared Spraglot's going to be as good as Caleb Cali. In fact, I can confirm for you without a shadow of a doubt, Caleb Cali is a better hitter at this level than Jared Spraglot. It's not even really that close, and that's not a knock on Jared. Just Caleb Cali was one of the one of those underrated hitters that have been at Arkansas in the last few years. I would argue. Um, Jared Spraglot is not bringing that type of punch. Definitely not at this level. Now, again, I just read you his numbers. He was awesome last year. Clearly, he's a very good player, can get on base, has has more pop than you would think looking at him. A good player that I'm really high on. Like I think he's going to help Arkansas a good bit. For the time being that he's in the lineup, that is a solid step down in, in production offensively. But I mentioned Peyton Holt, who is the guy I expect to end up being there at third base. I, the numbers I read you for Cali, that 300 batting average, that 400 OBP, that 500 slugging, like that, that is actually not out of the question for Peyton Holt. I think that's about where I see Peyton Holt finishing this offseason. Again, I just read you numbers where Peyton Holt actually was way above that last year. I think playing every day and guys who know who he is and just simply law of averages is going to play out. But I, I think you're, you're going to see Peyton Holt hit around that 300 mark. He's going to get on base. He's going to draw his walks a ton. Not going to overwhelm you with power, but he's got plenty. I mean, he's hit plenty of doubles, plenty of triples, hit some home runs last year. Uh, I, I think that, again, Caleb Cowley, it's hard to, to say that Arkansas is going to have a better hitting third baseman than Caleb Cowley. There's not many guys that can hit the way he can. But I do think when you just look at the production of what ended up happening, again, because you take into account the first month of the season where Arkansas really wasn't getting a ton of offensive production from their third baseman, I think it's, it ends up being about a wash when you take into account that Spraglot's going to start the year and he may be a little bit down from what Caleb Cowley brought. But then you have Peyton Holt, who's going to be right out there and maybe a little bit up. I think it ends up being pretty close. So I'm going to go with a slight step down at third base just because of how much respect I have for Caleb Cowley. But again, guys, like it's not like this is a position like shortstop or catcher last year where Arkansas is like in trouble or this is a notable weakness or like something, an issue here. I feel good about what Arkansas has at third base. You can argue whether or not it's a slight step up, slight step down, or about average. I think it's in that same general ballpark. Moving on to shortstop, where, again, we talked about the catcher position and how upset people were. I think people were really disappointed with the haul Arkansas got in the transfer portal last year at shortstop. And, again, 
Let's not misremember history here. So they had Harold Cole signed from the jump from the JUCO ranks from San Jacinto Community College, the one, the maybe the best JUCO program in the country, guy who had really good numbers at JUCO. They brought him in hoping he would be their starting shortstop. Like that's just what the situation was. I don't think anybody would tell you differently on the staff or on the team. They brought him in hoping he would be their starting shortstop. And it became clear pretty early on that he was not a starting shortstop in the SEC. Like he just defensively wasn't quite there. Good, has a lot of power to play, good hitter. And I, I would argue probably should have just started just because of how, how much offense he could have brought. But never really put it together and never was producing at the level enough that made him an everyday player. So Arkansas had John Bolton, who transferred in from Austin P. He was a, a fifth-year guy, senior, really good defender, not the offensive threat that they've had in years past. And, you know, defensively, nobody was going to be as good as Jalen Battles. And that's, I mean, that's going to be the case forever. This year, Vahiva Aloy is not going to be as good defensively as Jalen Battles was in 2022. And so I think John Bolton kind of had no choice. And shout out to John Bolton, who was at our Natty State Sports launch party. Uh, I think I feel comfortable saying close personal friend John Bolton. We had a gr- we had a great talk last, uh, the other night. Uh, really good dude. Um, really glad that he was a hog. And he's glad he was a hog too, man. He wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, so guys... If you were yelling at John Bolton last year and you were disappointed with the shortstop, I, I told him this, and I'm going to tell you guys, be mad at Harold Cole. Harold Cole ruined the whole operation. And again, I liked Harold. I defended him last year. Him not being the everyday shortstop was the miss in last year's offseason. John Bolton's starting happened because that happened. And John Bolton hitting 206 with a 248 slugging. And, and actually, by the way, John Bolton got on base 358, which is – Better than I remember, but also tells you that he was working some good at-bats. I mean, he hit 206 and had a 358 on base percentage. The math doesn't really math there. He worked 35 free passes. I believe it was like 26, 27 walks. Um, so a guy that got on base and scrapped, but again, zero home runs, 19 RBIs, scored 32 runs, not a bad number. Not necessarily the offensive punch that Arkansas has had at shortstop in years past and will have this year because we're going to move on to my favorite topic, which is Vahiva Aloy. I've given you the spiel. You know the guy's nasty. He homered Saturday at another scrimmage. I believe that was his ninth home run of the offseason. Just keeps doing it. He's a special talent. Hit 376, 427 on base percentage, 662 slugging percentage, uh, 14 home runs, 46 RBIs, 69 runs. This is a dude who is going to bring a ton of punch offensively. He's been hitting fourth in the order in Arkansas's scrimmages. He's gonna he's gonna be in the middle of that lineup. He's going to do a lot of damage. He's super aggressive at the plate. There's no doubt Arkansas is going to get more production out of their offense from the shortstop position. That's just how it's going to be this year. The one thing I will note with Vahiva Aloy, who I love, there are some questions about his defense, which I feel like he has answered this offseason because he's been great picking the ball. Uh, The throwing accuracy was a concern. I don't know what it was last year, but it seems like they got it fixed. Because uh, I've I've only seen one error out of him. I went back and looked at the charts. I only charted one error from Vahiva Aloy this entire offseason. And I wasn't at every single scrimmage, but I was at enough to where I should have seen more than one error. And I did not see more than one error. So I feel good about that. But another thing I want to point out, I mentioned he's very aggressive at the plate. Only 15 walks last year. Which for a guy that hit 376 with 14 home runs, I'd assume hit in the middle of the order there. Should have probably walked more than 15 times. I think that's something that is that you kind of jumped out to me. I mean, he hit 376, but his on-base percentage was 427. 
just to put that into context, Jason Jones, who I'm about to get to in a little bit, hit 196 as a true freshman, but his on-base percentage was 403 because he drew a ridiculous amount of walks. Now, that's a little bit of a, an anomaly, but we're talking about a guy in Vahiva Aloy who, as a freshman, had a 427 on-base percentage, barely higher than Jason Jones, who hit 196, which is kind of crazy. Just the, the That kind of broke my brain a little bit. But again, does a lot of damage. We'll hit a lot of doubles. We'll hit a lot of home runs. We'll bring a threat that Arkansas needs out of the middle of the order, that needs out of their 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 shortstop. And uh, I think you will be pleased with the production you get from that guy. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that Arkansas is going to have an uptick there. So, again, feel good about the infield. And we just, we've wrapped up the infield now. And almost every spot you can make a case is going to see improvement. And some of them are going to see significant improvement. Second base and third base we can kind of argue about. But I think it's close to the same level, if nothing else. And uh, I think every other where every other place they're safely above what they had last year. And so, again, that's just we're just going position by position. We'll recap it at the end for those that have been struggling to keep up in their mind. Uh, but we're moving on to left field now, guys. I mentioned earlier that there will be some spots in which Arkansas is safely going to take a step back offensively. Left field is absolutely one of those spots. Jared Wagner was the everyday left fielder for Arkansas last year. Hit 313 on base percentage 457. Slug 673, so a ton of power. Drew his walks, had 15 home runs, 51 RBIs, 46 runs. Just an all-around really good hitter, really good offensive threat in the middle of the order. Arkansas is going to miss that guy a lot. Anytime you read, you know, those numbers I just read you, that's at the SEC level. And he missed some time in SEC play, so it's like he would have had probably closer to 20 home runs. This is a guy who drove in a ton of runs for Arkansas. They leaned heavily on him. That's a lot of production to replace, and I'm not sure they can do it, uh, at least not with all one guy. The guy that we've projected to start is Jason Jones, who, again, has not really run away with the position yet this offseason. And I say yet as if there, there, there's three days left. He didn't run away with the position. It's going. The battle is going to carry over into the season. I still think he probably gets that nod opening day, but I think you will see Will Edmonton start games on opening weekend and midweeks and throughout the early portion of the season for sure. He's earned the right, man. Will Emerson has had a really good offseason, had a massive year in JUCO, hit over 400, had a huge breakout, hit over double-digit you know, double digit home runs, stole a ton of bases. Will Edmondson's been swinging the bat well. He, hit a, he had a base hit off of Hagen Smith the other day, hit a home run off of Will McIntyre. Will Edmondson, if nothing else, has just made this a very real battle. Ross Lovich, the Missouri transfer, he's also probably going to get a few starts there just as a, the only left-handed bat out of the group there. I think you'll see all three of those guys start in left field. All three of those guys I like. I think I, I like the potential of Jason Jones a lot. I think that's who they end up going with, and I think that's who they probably should just because of the upside. And I think that given some of these other pieces on the roster, I think you can kind of afford to do that with this team. But Jason Jones, I love the potential there, and I, I think he's got a chance to be a good player for Arkansas. And I think going into his junior year, if he's able to win this job and start every day and get some good experience, I think going into his junior year, we can talk about maybe a borderline All-SEC, maybe a potential high draft pick, all that stuff, but he's got a lot to prove, and, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I think I just would not be able to realistically come on this podcast and tell you, hey, Arkansas is going to, yeah, Jared Wagner, that all those numbers I just read you, yeah, they'll have that again. It's going to be God. Just move on. Yeah, no. I think you're probably looking at a little bit of a dip. And look, even if Jason Jones, whatever the best case scenario, I just don't think it's realistic to expect him to hit 300 this year. Now, the 15 home runs, if he plays every day, he could absolutely do it. This kid's got special power. He's got as much power as anyone on the roster. And I think 
I want to see what he looks like every day, just to see those dips and see those ups and downs and just see what it looks like. I want to get a full sample size, Jason Jones, so I can really see what we're working with here. I think that's what a lot of hog fans want. But again, I mentioned Will Edmondson. I mentioned Ross Lovitz, who's starting to come on. They've made it a battle. We'll see what all three of these guys bring to the table. I think the cream will rise to the top, and that competition is going to help that room. But again, it's just it's Arkansas is safely going to have worse production offensively from their left fielder this year. They just are. And that's not a bad thing. Jared Wagner, I just read you the numbers, 673 slugging. I don't know anybody that's doing that. Uh, and, if, if, and if they are going to do it, you shouldn't go into the season expecting them to. But uh, we move on to center field, and this is another spot, guys. I cannot come in here in good conscience and tell you that Ty Wilmsmeyer is going to match what Tavian Josenberger did offensively for Arkansas last year. But I will say this. When Arkansas brought in Tavian Josenberger, I also didn't think Tavian Josenberger was going to do what Tavian Josenberger did. Um, now, I will say, in the offseason, it didn't take long for us to realize that Tavian Josenberger was better than his numbers at Kansas indicated. Now, I mentioned that with Jack Wagner, where if you look at his resume at Kansas, you're like, ah, he's not, you know, none really to, to speak right home about. That was the case with Josenberger last year, but the difference is, I remember the first scrimmage we finally got to see Tavian play. It was obvious right away, hey, this guy's a plus hitter. This guy can hit. He might hit leadoff for this team, and he ended up doing it. And uh, he had more pop than we thought. He hit 10 home runs after only having, I think, two or three in his entire career at Kansas. Had a mat, had a breakout year. Ends up getting drafted, I believe, in the third round by the Orioles. Don't quote me on that. Also saw Tavian Josenberger at the scrimmage the other day. Him and, him and Austin Ledbetter, QB1. Always good to see, like, the former Hogs that come back and love to be at the university and are, still keep those relationships. But, again, so Tavian Josenberger hits 286 last year. Got on base 414. That's a, that's a for a guy that hit 286, 414. That that that'll play. And at your leadoff spot, that's what you like to see. Slugged 490, which is a career high by far. Hit 10 home runs, 33 RBIs, scored 51 runs. That's a lot of production from your center fielder. That's a really solid season. We've seen Arkansas have a ton of dudes have similar seasons to that. Ty Wilmsmeyer last year. If you look at his Missouri stats, you may. Think, Andrew, what are you talking about? He's, you know, he hit 311, 380 on base percentage, 482 slugging, like, you know, not too far away from what Tavian did. Had seven home runs, 25 RBIs, 40 runs, you know, about 80% across the board of what Tavian Josenberger did. I mean, you know, the average is a little bit higher, not quite as much power, but you look at those two lines and you think, oh, they're, it's not, not that big of a drop off. You know, look, I don't know if I know ball or not, but I've watched Ty Wilmsmeyer hit a lot this offseason. I think he's a good player. I like him. I, I think he's a really good defender, really good athlete. And I think he brings more pop than maybe you would think by looking at him. And every now and then he'll get a hold of one. And you're like, oh, okay, there it is. There's that pop. Um, had seven home runs last year. I think that's probably about where he ends up this year. I don't think this is a like double-digit home run dude who's going to take another step forward. And I think if you look at his Missouri career, last year was a little bit of an outlier in terms of his offensive production, way up average, way up in the slugging, also stole over 20 bases, which is important to note because Tavian Josenberger, that's one thing he also did was steal a good bit of bags. And I think Ty Wilmsmeyer will be able to replace some of that when he gets on base. He doesn't walk a ton, Wilmsmeyer, which I mentioned that on the lineup preview podcast, which if you have not listened to, go listen to that because it's very good work and if you want to just get familiar with who we project to start at each spot, we can kind of go through that so we don't have to do it here. But Ty, Ty Wilmsmeyer had a good year at Missouri. So, look, if he replicates it and hits around 300 and has seven home runs, whatever, like that would be awesome. Even that would be a little bit of a step down from what Josenberger brought last year. 
And I also have my doubts about whether or not Ty Wilmsmeyer is going to replicate that production just based on the fact that, again, it's a little bit of an outlier with his career. You look at his first three years, they were a little bit different. And I understand dudes get better over time. And it, and it was in the SEC. Now, that's the important thing to note here is that with Wilmsmeyer, you're not talking about a guy who's coming from the WAC or coming from the Mountain West or something where you're like, oh, is this production going to translate you know, he's, he's going to face SEC pitching, the same SEC pitching he faced last year and had a really good year against. I'm not saying it's like fool's gold. I just think that I won't be stunned if there's a little bit of a regression there where maybe he's at, he's in that 270, 275 range with about five home runs. Again, good good athlete, good defender, good person to have in your lineup. But I think if you're just basing it on, you're comparing this team, I don't think he has the same power threat and just overall on-base ability that Tavian Josenberger had. Uh, on the base pass is 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 fun to watch and brings a little bit of a threat there. But I think if you're just just going. I think you're going slight step down there at center field. And now right field. This is these are my guys here. These two guys I'm about to talk about. I have a I have a pers- close personal relationship. I, not not that's not true. I don't have a relationship with them. But they they held a special place in my heart because my first year covering this team full time was the 2022 season where they went to Omaha a couple years ago. That was the first year when I like lived in Fayetteville and was following this team. So I remember my first offseason, I wanted to go to every single scrimmage, which I, I, I try to do every year now. But I really wanted to make it a thing where I was like, I'm going to go to every fall scrimmage. I'm going to like have all these like strong takes on everything. But I remember that offseason, the two headlining freshmen were Peyton Stovall, ever heard of him, and Drake Vernado, if you remember him. He was a huge recruit at the time, and that was kind of the, the, the story of the offseason is, which one of these freshmen are going to start? Is it going to be both of them? Where are they going to third, short? Like, how's it going to work out? And I remember seeing Kendall Dix and being like, man, this kid's nasty. And they started hitting him lead off in some of those scrimmages. I, I knew the bat was there, and he was bouncing around in the field at this time, playing some third, first, like DH, whatever. But Kendall Diggs was kind of one that just caught my eye early. So I remember in the first press conference, I asked DVH a question about Kendall Diggs just to, like, let him know that I know ball and that I've been there watching. And I could tell that was kind of his, like, I mean, I don't think he was actually as impressed as I hoped he was. But I could tell that he appreciated the question where he's like, oh, hey, this guy at least knows what he's talking about. Uh, which, you know, not, not to brag, but DVH has said that to me before. Hey, you know what you're talking about a little bit, which he appreciates. And uh, But I remember Kendall Diggs just kind of catching my eye early on, and he was – a decent recruit, but he was not the headliner of that class. He was not expected to have a huge role, and he didn't start every day as a true freshman, but you know, had a ton of huge moments, had the walk-off home run against Ole Miss. So he's kind of been a special guy that I've kept my eye on, and you know, obviously his freshman year was also my first year covering the team. So when he's gone, I'll kind of remember him that way as being one of the first guys that caught my attention when I first got this job. And that same offseason, I also developed a uh, – a strong crush on Jace Borfin, if you will. I've been I've been hyping this dude up so much to where I kind of just had to lean into the bit, you know, because that year in 2022, he was in and out of the lineup, started the year at the top, ended up splitting time with Zach Gregory. And you know how it is as sports fans. You just find yourself falling on the side of one or the other. I really thought they should have played Jace Borfin down the stretch. I loved what he brought to the table, loved his left-handed swing, loved his power, his athleticism good defender. I just, I really liked him. So I felt like I was kind of riding hard for Jace Borfin pause. Uh, but I was, I, I was really hyping him up and I, I really was a believer in his skill set. and credit uh, David Seifert, who works at D1 baseball. If he remembers this conversation, shout out to him. But I remember that year, even telling him, I was like, man, I wouldn't be surprised this Jace Borfin kid, if he comes back next year and has a massive year and like ends up being a top draft guy and hell, he actually did it, man. It actually went way better than I thought it would. Um, again, cause I, like I said, I kind of started leaning into the bit where I was like, Hey, I started calling him the Borfalorian. 
which my boy Mason Choate decided to just straight up rip. <laughs> just straight up rip. You saw that on Twitter last year. Again, it came from my brain, but just just point blank ripped. But anyways, Jace Borfin was the Borfalorian. He was the captain of the team. His year last year was so, so fun to watch. He hit 318, 436 on base percentage, slug 612, uh, played almost every day, played 60 games, which led Arkansas's team last year, hit 16 home runs, which also led the team, 52 RBIs, 54 runs. He was Arkansas's best hitter last year. He was the most productive hitter they had. You know, whatever criteria you want to use, he was the best one. He led him in average, led him in home runs, played the most games, uh, had so many clutch hits for him. I mean, even in the game they that ended their season against TCU there, he hit a two-run home run in the fifth inning to give him a huge lead. And it was kind of an – like, if they had come back to win, it would have been like a moment I would have never forgot of like, man, remember when Jace Borford hit that home run? Like, he had so many awesome – hit that 500-foot home run against Chase Dolan or just – Big hit after big hit, and, you know, another guy who has become that dude for Arkansas who just seems to come through when they need him the most is Kendall Diggs, so I think he's, like, the perfect right field replacement. And, look, offensively, I read you Jace's numbers there. Kendall Kendall wasn't quite, you know, not quite on par with that last year, but they had the exact same OBP at 436. Kendall hit 299 at the plate, had a 547 slugging, so not quite the same puncher power there. Um, but Kendall did drive in 63 runs, which did lead the team hit 12 home runs. So it's not, I mean, I'm talking about him like he's a step down in power, still a ton of pop 51 runs scored again, ton of clutch hits, tons of big moments for Arkansas, the 63 RBIs. Those were huge. And he was bouncing around DH right field, left field, whatever it was. Both of those guys last year pretty much kept this offense and kept this team afloat. And I think Kendall Diggs is going to be even better this year. I mean, He's been crushing in the fall. This the, the, these these or the, on the off season, I should say. These past few scrimmages or these past few weeks, he's really turned it up a notch. He looks like the kind of guy who's just reaching his final form. You know, it just he's he's making the strides you want him to make. I mean, as a freshman, he's a guy who didn't play every day, but you saw the vision last year. He was able to get into the lineup, and we saw what a full season of Kendall Diggs looked like, and it was awesome. He hits two ninety nine. I mean, just a fun year. I think he's going to take. I'm not. I'm not expecting him to just continue that rate and be hitting 400 now this year. But I think he's just going to take a little. It's going to be ramped up just a little bit. I think you'll see him hit in that like 320 to 330 range. Maybe take those 12 home runs. Maybe make them 14, 15, 16. But again, I think regardless of what the numbers are, Kendall Diggs is just a dude you're trusting at the plate. You trust him to come through. You trust him to get that big hit. Left on left, it don't matter. Uh, he's hit. Ton of home, a ton of his home runs this offseason have been left on left. He hit one off of Mason Molina, hit one off of Hagen Smith. Those guys are pretty good, I've heard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Kendall Diggs, will he replace all of Borfin's production? I don't know. The numbers I read you are pretty close to about what Jace did last year. I think it's about a wash between those two those two dudes. Those, those are two just big-time hitters. You know, you can take your choice. You just pick a name out of a hat. They're, they're pretty similar. So, look. I should also mention Kendall Diggs was a DH last year. And if there's one position where Arkansas actually really probably has no chance to replace their production, it might be DH because Kendall Diggs was there and I read you his numbers really good. But when he wasn't at DH, when he was playing right field, Ben McLaughlin was the guy who subbed in. And I read you his numbers earlier, hit 346, got on base a ton and had some pop hit slug 487. Arkansas got elite production out of their DH. I mean, Kendall Diggs, I believe, was on the All-SEC team as the DH. Um, so literally got more than just about everyone. So I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Ben McLaughlin or Jack Wagner at that spot. I, I think it's it's tough to say they're going to replace all that production. But again, these are just dudes they feel good about. So regardless of whether the numbers shake out of like they're better here, or worse here, better here, worse there, like 
you get the general sense of how they feel about each of these dudes. I listed a lot of names for you there. I know it's a lot of maybe information overload. You might have to, man, I might have to give this podcast a second spin just to really process it. But I think it just tells you they feel good about every spot. Not going to be up at every, it's not going to be across the board, unanimous. Arkansas is a better offense than they've been. But I do think so. Just to review, catcher, I, I wrote I wrote these down in just little categories here. Catcher, way, way up in production. I've given you the spiel. They're going to be up. First base, slightly up. I think from Brady Slavens to Jack Wagner or ben, ben McLaughlin, you're looking at a nice little increase, but nothing too crazy. Second base, I think we're going slightly up there as well, just based on the fact that Peyton Stovall was not himself, and he was the guy who played there for most of the season. So even with Peyton Holt's late punch, I think what Arkansas got at second base last year, they'll get a little bit more just based on there being more consistency. We, we like the two dudes. They're a year older. They'll be healthy. I, I just like what Arkansas's got at second base. I have them going up. Third base, I have it as a wash. I just think Peyton Holt, Caleb Cowley, I like both those guys. Both are studs. Different, not the exact same player, but similar in value and what they bring. And I think Jared Spragulot, for however long he has to fill in, ain't too shabby as a replacement there. So I feel like it's a wash. If you want to say slightly down, I won't argue with you. Go for it. If you want to say slightly up, I won't argue with you. Go for it. Again, shortstop, way, way up. I don't have to do that spiel again. John Bolton, you're my guy. Uh, underrated Razorback legend, but Vahiva Aloy is the man. He's going to be awesome this year. The production is going to be way up. Left field is where we think it's going to be solidly down. I, I you know, you can if if you're a huge Jason Jones believer, I think you can make your case of like, hey, I think he's going to the light switch is going to come on and he's going to hit 18 home runs and I, I, it's going to be great. You could you can talk yourself into him replacing Jared Wagner's production. You can do that. You're more than happy to. And hey, this kid's so talented. I absolutely would not be stunned if he did. But I, for one, I'm, me, as for me and my house, we will not be projecting Jason Jones to slug 650 this year. <laughs> um, center field, again, I said Ty Wimsmeyer, who I like a lot. I feel like I've been kind of critical of his game, and I'm not. I just think Tavian Josenberger was awesome, and so I think we're looking at a little bit of a slightly down there. And then at right field with Borfin and, and Diggs, I think that's a, that's a wash. You can make Again, you can make your case, or if it's slightly down, slightly up, whatever. I think it's pretty close. And DH, I'm, I'm okay with saying it's slightly down. So if you just look at it, guys, put all that together, Arkansas is going to be a better offense than they were last year. I just think the, the spots that they're better, they are so much better. And the spots where they're quote-unquote worse, it's not as big of a gap. I think left field is really the only one that it's a noticeable, maybe even center field if Wilmsmeyer struggles out the gate. But I, I think maybe maybe two spots where there's like a real step back, but I think they're more than making up for it with what they've got at catcher, first base, second, third, short, uh, DH even is going to be bringing some pop. And I just think they have options. And I think their bench options are really good. I think Reese Robinette, who was a, a guy who had a ton of pinch hit at-bats for them this year, he's better this year, man. Reese Robinette might end up starting a ton of games at third. Guys, you might have to buy big country stonks, man. That dude, that dude's been playing some great baseball. And I think it really just speaks to the competitive, competitive nature of this team and just how deep they are that there's all these guys. Like, I just did that whole lineup preview and didn't even hardly talk about big country. And he very well could end up hitting, playing every day for this team and hitting around 300. I mean, he's he's done a ton of damage in these offseason scrimmages. Hit a double off the wall against Hagen Smith the other day, Oppo. Uh, dude's a stud. So it's like, again, big picture, sum that up. I think Arkansas is going to be better offensively than they've been the last few years. Uh, we've gone already longer. I thought this was going to be a short episode. I really did. <laughs> this is going to turn out to be our longest one, but that's just kind of how it is here. Um, but I just wanted to quickly go through the last few years and just 
talk to you about some of these these numbers that I've been seeing. So I took every year that Nate Thompson's been the hitting coach at Arkansas because I think it makes sense. He's the hitting coach now. Offensively, different pieces, different things, but I think the approach has been pretty similar, and the production's been a little bit more consistent year to year than I think some probably even realize. So in 2017, his first year, he they, they hit 286 as a team, 373 OBP, 455 slugging. The OBP and slugging, those are the lowest marks of his tenure. Those like they've gone up from there every year. They hit 83 home runs, which at the time felt like a big number. We thought that was awesome. That ended up being weak sauce compared to what they've been doing these last five, six years. Uh, and that team kind of overachieved, ended up hosting a regional. And that was following their horrible 2016 season that ended in turmoil that everybody hated. But anyways, they come back in 2018, maybe the best Arkansas team ever. They hit 296 as a team, uh, 391 on base percentage, 475 slugging, up a good bit, hit 98 home runs. Uh, also, that 2017 season that I just mentioned was their lowest run scoring. They scored they scored six six 6.59 runs per game, bumped that up to 6.98 in 2018 on that team that that crushed and won the SEC West and should have won the national championship. Uh, 2019, they were actually a little bit better offensively. They scored about a half run per game more at 7.43, hit 298, so the average was up. The OBP was up 393, up a little bit. The slugging was up 489. Didn't match the home runs. They had 88 to compared to 98. Hit a ton of doubles, though, and that offense flamed out down the stretch, but just year to year, you know, that, that 2019 team had your Dominic Fletcher, your Casey Martin, your Heston Kerstad, your Trevor Rizels, Jack Kinley was crushing that year. Um, pretty similar to the 2018 team. Those are the two best offenses Arkansas had under Nate Thompson, in my opinion. Quick RIP to the 2020 team that hit 310 in their 11 or 15, 16 games, scored 7.37 runs per game, had 21 home runs in those 16 games. That offense where you had your number two overall pick, Heston Kerstad, that offense was about to do special stuff had that season not been wiped out due to COVID. Um, so a quick moment of silence for that group. The 2021 team that, again, won 50 games, was number one overall in the country. They hit 267 for the season, which is the lowest mark of any team under Nate Thompson since he took over in 2016 and look, or 2017. And we've got a pretty solid sample size. That was the lowest batting average that team and the highest run total, 7.6 runs per game. That's the most they've scored in a, for a full season under Nate Thompson. For you, and I know everyone always asks all the time. One of the questions I get the most is like, you know, are, are we going to be dependent on the home run this year? Are we going to be striking out a ton? Or is, is it going to be like boomer bust offense type of thing? And I would love to come here and tell you, oh no, man, they're going to be button dudes. They're going to be they're going to be small balling it up. They're not going to strike out. They're just, they're they're going to hit home runs, but they're not going to be dependent on them. Guys, it's 2024. This is just kind of the way baseball is played. I think that 2021 team is a perfect microcosm of kind of what baseball looks like nowadays where you draw your walks. You hit a, They hit 109 home runs that year, which is a program record. Uh, you draw your walks. You work the count. You might not hit for a super high average, but when you get mistakes, you got to make them pay. Hit your home runs. Hit your doubles. Again, work your walks. Work the count. All that stuff. On paper, that team hit 267, like I said. And you look at the numbers, I don't even think they had a guy hit over two. I think Robert Moore hit 284, and I think that might have led the team, him and Brady Slavens. Not at some of super high averages, but that team did a lot of damage, and they kind of scrapped one through nine and made it work. I think that is kind of the formula that we've seen for this team is they're not going to string together four straight hits. And in the SEC, when you're facing guys that throw 97, you're facing Hagen Smith, 
you're not going to string together three straight hits. Like, it's just really hard to do that. And if you're trying to build your offense around that, it's going to be really hard. And look, that's not saying that these guys should be going up there just looking to launch everything and striking out and all that. And there's also situations where if it's first and third one out, yeah, let's maybe shorten up and not try to hit a home run. Let's maybe try to just put one in play. Let's try to get that run in. I'm all for that, and I think Arkansas situational hitting. People have been critical over the years. I think it really is more just the SEC. Every these guys, these pitchers are so good. I mean, you look around the the the, the conference. There's a lot of teams that are going to have their 11 strikeout games and just they 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 are shut down by really good arms. And we've seen it happen to Arkansas and Omaha. And I think people see that and they want to extrapolate that and make it a big picture commentary on like what's wrong with this approach and all that. Guys, sometimes you just got to. <laughs> You just got to find where you can, you got to be opportunistic offensively. You got to make people pay for mistakes. You got to work your walks. You got to work the count. And when we've seen this Arkansas offense at its best, that's what they're doing. Maybe the leadoff guy works a walk. Maybe the, the, the second guy, he moves him over. And maybe with two hits, you get that big double or that big home run or that big run scoring single or whatever. I think in the SEC, if you're expecting this Arkansas team to hit over 300 and be consistent and get on base all the time and like, do damage but not be trying to do damage all the time like it's just not really a realistic thing to expect and I definitely don't think you should be expecting Arkansas to change up their entire approach year to year I think this team offensively is going to do pretty similar to what these last few teams have done in terms of being opportunistic and doing damage when they need to and they'll they'll, they'll strike out a good bit I mean there's guys on this team like Vahiva Lloyd like a Jason Jones like a Ty Wilmsmeyer who don't mind striking out a little bit you know it just is what it is uh, just quick, the last two teams, like 2022, the team that went to Omaha with Jalen Battles and all those cats, hit 276 for the year with 106 home runs. So pretty similar to what they did the year before when they won 50 games. Didn't quite score as much, down a little bit, 7.04 runs per game. That number moved up to, two, to 757 last year, uh, which, again, just below that 2021 team. So if you thought last year's offense was historically great, you were right, weirdly enough. They they were they were one of the best offenses Arkansas has ever had. Only hit 273, so that average, again, I know you guys really love batting average. It's time to grow up, guys. It's 2024. Let's worry about OPS. OPS is the is the premier offensive stat. Let's move with the times. The baseball is just it's just changed. And look, you can you can hate it, you can dread it, run from it. Destiny arrives all the same. I think that Arkansas is going to do enough damage to justify the approach that you guys seem to not like, but the approach that has gotten them a lot of wins, a lot of runs, a lot of success over these last six, seven years. And I think this offense really might be the perfect mix of all of this, where, again, I mentioned that they're going to have a little bit of that boomer bust approach. You have your guys like that, like a Vahiva. But I look at Kendall Diggs, Hudson White, Peyton Stovall, guys who might be at the top of that lineup. Those are not guys that strike out a ton. Diggs actually does strike out more than you would re- more than you realize. Um, but again, those are guys who are not super boomer bust. They get on base plenty. They're going to hit for a high average. Ben McLaughlin, he's a high average guy. Peyton Holt, he's a huge on base percentage guy. Um, even Jack Wagner draws his walks a good bit, and you know he'll strike out and he'll hit his home runs. But he's going to the guys that do that. At least Jason Jones and Jack Wagner work their walks, and that's one thing I love about Jason Jones's game. And part of why I think he deserves that nod ultimately. But uh, yeah, guys, I just I'm, I'm looking at just comparing the numbers and just sifting through it all. And we'll, we'll throughout the year, we'll kind of evaluate of get a track record of how close they are to some of these other teams and comparing and contrasting. But based on everything I've said on this podcast, I, I hope I, I summarized it fairly well. This team 
they stack up very well with these offenses that we've seen these last four or five years. And I think actually they're a lot closer to those 2018 and 2019 teams. I'm not saying they're going to hit 300, but I think the average will be up from the last couple of years. I think they'll be over 280. I said they were 273 and 276 the last two years. I expect that number to be up. I also think their power from last year is going to be up a little bit. They hit 92 home runs, a respectable number. I think they're going to be back up around triple digits. I think you just look at this lineup. Stowball could hit double-digit home runs when he's healthy. Hudson White did it last year. He'll do it again. Kendall Diggs did it last year. We'll do it again. Vahiva Lloyd did it last year. We'll do it again. Ben McLaughlin and Peyton Holt might not be double-digit home run guys, but we've seen them show off some pop. I think both those guys have gotten stronger this offseason. I think both those guys are realistic candidates to hit double-digit home runs. Uh, Jack Wagner, again, hit 15 home runs last year. He's probably hitting double digits again. Jason Jones, if he plays every day, is going to hit double-digit home runs, guaranteed. Um, Ty Wimsmeyer probably won't, but okay. Maybe you you have one guy on your offense that might not hit double-digit home runs. I think you can make a very strong case for all all those other eight guys I talked about hitting double-digit home runs. Even Spraglott and Reese Robinette off the bench, those are guys, if they play every day, are going to hit double-digit home runs. You add it all up, I just there's too much potential production and and too high of floors for some of these guys. So look, I understand there's some concerns because some of these names are not super national prominent names, but I feel really good about what Arkansas can do and just how this offense shakes out. So look, I don't know if I portrayed that message well. I know I kind of rambled a little bit. This podcast ended up being over an hour. I did not expect that to be the case. I kind of was running out of material. I got to be honest. I was kind of thinking, I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through two shows this week. Hell, we went over an hour and we got plenty coming this week, guys. So guys, stay tuned. Like I said, Thursday, we will be back. We will have a, a, a special interview on that Thursday podcast with a young man who's going to be very important to this Arkansas season and moving forward for this program. I think he's a, you're going to enjoy hearing from him. We could have another little special Friday bonus episode later in the week, maybe on game day. Stay tuned for that. Again, guys, subscribe if you have not to the podcast feeds, to the YouTube, whatever it is, however you're consuming this content. Make sure you're, you're subscribed so you're, you're staying in touch. You're staying on this journey with us because that's what we want. We want you in on this journey. We want you to join in. So it's it's like we're watching these, these things together. We're experience, experiencing it together. And, uh, you know, appreciate all you guys tuning in and sharing it however you have. I've really, really, been, really been pleased with the response of how this is going, and I hope you guys are having fun. Guys, it's almost game week. Eventually, I will be talking about real games that are happening and real things that you guys are able to watch, too. I'm I'm so excited, man. I could not be more thrilled. Before we get out of here, I want to give a quick shout-out to our people over at Manscaped. You know, it's Valentine's Day. is I guess tomorrow, guys. Make sure you're groomed up. You know, do what you got to do. The beard, your other areas of your body, make sure you're, you're, you're set up. Manscaped has got you covered. They, they'll take care of you. If you go to their website, manscaped.com, use the promo code Natty, N-A-T-T-Y, promo code Natty, N-A-T-T-Y, for 20% off your men's grooming needs. As they say in the biz, your balls will thank you. Your date tomorrow night will also thank you. Guys, let's let's take care of ourselves. Let's uh let's let's go go check out Manscaped. You won't be disappointed, man. The, the, the Manscaped gets a high approval rating. Anytime I reference Manscaped to anyone, they Anyone who uses it, they swear by it. Like it's the best thing ever. Uh, I'm aware. I don't have my Manscaped t-shirt on, but I'll wear it one day on these pods. But Manscaped, we love those guys. We appreciate their products. We only promote good stuff here at, at uh, Natty State Sports, um, and Manscaped is certainly falls into that category. 
Reminder, manscaped.com, promo code Natty for 20% off. Guys, it's been a really fun episode four of the Bombastic Podcast. I appreciate you sticking in for the full hour, however long we've gone here. Uh, we'll see you next time. We'll see you Thursday. we got a lot of fun stuff coming. I'm Andrew Ellis. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Signing off.